Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Coffee Break Podcast. These are short podcasts for you to listen to at a coffee break. Developed to give you some quick ideas on how to help you build your desk and business. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller for today's Coffee Break Podcast. Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast. I'm Adrian Mansfield, and in my 20 plus years in recruitment, I've had a number of million pound years. I've worked in most of the major recruitment markets and in all sales roles within a recruitment agency. I've also run my own company and set up companies both in the UK and in several international locations. Recruitment has given me the opportunity to travel the world and see some of the best and worst places on offer, from Australia to Afghanistan and many more in between. The Million Pound Biller podcast offers those at any level in recruitment tips and ideas from me and my contacts, both inside and outside recruitment, but all from the coalface. Information and ideas that can be taken back to your day-to-day careers and put you on the path to a million pound year. The cornerstone of my success over the years has been my willingness to learn and develop my skills, something I still do every day. Now I'm offering you some of my ideas and thoughts that will allow you to squeeze the most out of your recruitment career, no matter what level you're at and where you're aiming for. Every journey, even one to a million pounds, starts with a single step. So let's take that first step together. Welcome to this week's Million Pound Biller podcast. I had a shock this week after spending much of the last four years working in the UAE. I had my first experience for a while of the variable nature of the UK weather. I managed to experience what felt like four seasons in two hours over the weekend, and I ended up like a drowned rat by the end of it. There was a recruitment link in it, as I'm sure we've all had those days when we experience all emotions in a day, from the depth of despair to elation and back to despair again, or perhaps the other way around, elation, despair, elation. The benefit of my soaking was I was on a golf course with some good friends, and the shared experience was a source of great fun in the bar afterwards, as we huddled under a tent cover from the rain that was still coming down. It's the same in recruitment. I've said before on this podcast that the shared nature of things have often been the real fun experiences in my recruitment career, whether that's celebrating a sale, picking yourself up after a deal goes south, or in my case, sat with a client in a bomb shelter at 2am in Afghanistan. That last one was probably more fun looking back on it now than it was at the time, but hey. I know many people listening to this podcast are working for themselves or considering the move to work for themselves, and I would highly recommend that as a plan. The benefits are huge. But one tip I can give you if you're thinking of going alone or if you're already out there is try and find that group of people that you can share their successes with. They don't have to be in recruitment. They don't have to be part of your family, but just find that group because they will be the people you turn to when you need to in those high moments and those low moments going forward. Brings us on to topic one for today. What to think about when transitioning to working for yourself. So if you've been working for that recruitment firm and are considering that big leap out into the working for yourself, here I'm not talking about the business factors. I've spoken about these before and I'll be posting a video on my YouTube channel this week that covers them in more detail. This relates to the softer factors, the areas that I find people often forget or don't recognise as things they get from their recruitment firm. The first of these is motivation and drive to act. When you're working for a company, they will often set you targets and by pressure of either peers or your managers, you'll be focused on delivering against those targets. That pressure could be negative or positive, but it has been a driver in how you function on a daily basis whilst in an agency. The moment you go alone, that pressure goes away. The push from outside isn't there anymore. Now, this may sound obvious, but I've spoken to a number of people who have started on their own and it's one of the main areas that they mention as an issue, especially a few months in when the initial drive has been used up. Now, I could go into the benefits of intrinsic or extrinsic values at this point. Extrinsic meaning the from outside and intrinsic being from within. But suffice it to say that if you can get that part right and in balance, you'd be very well placed. 
If you want to know more on these ideas, there are a number of books and articles I can point you to. Just reach out on social media. But for me, when you're starting out on your own, the key is to set up some goals that work for you and also try to work on a real budget for your business. I'm sure many of you will have done these budgets for your employers. So make a point of setting up the budget, then break it down month by month. Then from there, you can work on a weekly and daily plan. It may sound strange, but I would then recommend setting a meeting with yourself at the end of each day and week to see where you are on those goals. Holding yourself to account will help you get used to the methods needed to help you keep your focus. I would also highly recommend some external voices that you can go to and set these targets with and then have a chat with them as you go through the work done each month. At least for the first six to 12 months, this will allow you to be held to account by somebody outside of you directly. Even if that person isn't actually involved or indeed affected by your success or failure, I've found that the sheer fact of having to hold that meeting makes a difference in activity. If you want someone to work with you on this and don't have someone close to you who can fit the bill, then reach out to me. I won't promise I can work with all of my listeners, even if I wish I could, but I will be able to help some of you. The other thing to factor in when you're working for yourself is the idea of time management. Many of you will have your own time management techniques, and I've discussed on this podcast before how I manage my own days. I find this was one of the key parts of working for yourself, as too often I speak to people and find their days are drifting. That means either they find they have days that they don't do what they wanted to do, or are unable to get on task, or perhaps never they never stop. They are constantly working. I don't think either of these are good. The goal when working for yourself is to be able to have a good balance between work and life. I mean, that's often the main reason people go out in the first place on their own. Without the structure of a job, the focus is often on you to decide how you want to work. It may be that you prefer to start late and have a lazy morning, or perhaps the opposite, start early and finish by early afternoon to allow you to do the school pickup. Whatever your ideal, set to that plan and then stick to it. I recommend that you think about starting and ending your day with some form of trigger. For me, that's my second coffee. I have one as I relax and catch up on the news and the sport, etc. for the night. And then my second is at my desk as I start my plan for the day. For one, one of my friends, they set up a physical commute. They go for a walk for 10 minutes before they go to work. And then when they finish, they repeat the walk to get home. Whatever you find works best for you. Equally, you need to try and book leave. Try to work out some real time away from work. Now, this may not be for the first few months, as you'll want to get those first three or four months full focus. Perhaps set a goal and a target and then book yourself a long weekend off after those first few months. When you've delivered, do it. Maybe that's your first placement or when you hit a fee target, whatever that feels right for your business. As you move forward, however, it's important that you take time out of your day-to-day and take some leave. Working for yourself can become all-encompassing if you let it, and having these gaps will give you a helping hand to refocus on the day-to-day. But it also allow you to free your mind. And as we've discussed in previous podcasts, it helps you to start to work on your business rather than just in it. Finally, the other key thing to think about as you move to work for yourself is celebrating. One of the key benefits of an employed role is that when things go well, you've got other people to celebrate with. When you go out alone, you'll lose that. So think about how you're going to celebrate. How are you going to soak up those wins? Perhaps with your partner or children. Perhaps as the way you can bring them into it. Perhaps you bought a bell or a gong that you ring. Maybe you've got a good friend you can call to cheer on with you. Whatever the method or who you do it with, do it. You've made a huge step and the future will be amazing. And it'd be a real shame if you fail to enjoy the journey. Moving on to topic two for this week. When is the right time to hire for my own company? So you've made that big leap. You've gone out alone and you've been successful. Then comes the next big decision. Should I hire someone to help me? That is perhaps the biggest issue for anyone who's made it past the initial phase of setting up for themselves. 
that step of going from being on your own to being a company that employs people is, in my opinion, the largest leap outside of actually going into loan in the first place you'll ever come up against when running your own company. If or when you decide to hire the first person, that is the hardest. Every subsequent hire becomes more and more easy. I should probably state at this point that I'm speaking about direct employees who will rely on you for their work or direction. I've seen many people combine their forces with another single consultant and go forward as a duo or a trio. But in these cases, the individuals are basically still working for themselves. So when you're looking at employing someone, the first question is simply why? The benefit of recruitment is that it's a very mature business. So there are many solutions available to you that can bring in to reduce the workload and act as employees may do. Whether that's sourcing or screening candidates, dealing with finance, marketing, lead generation, or many other areas. So the question is, what do you think you'll gain from somebody being employed over a solution provider doing the same role, but via a contract of service? In my personal view, I would try to outsource or bring in outside contract support long before I go down the employment route. Employing staff will be a huge time sink on your efforts as you get them in and get them up to speed and trained. You need to factor in the hours and time it will take you to train them and then reduce your weekly time accordingly. When you've done that, factor in what that reduction will be in terms of income and profits. If you're happy for the time loss and any reflected profit drop is worth the long-term effort, then and only then should you push forward. If you're in this position at the moment, feel free to reach out to me via social media or via my website and we can arrange a chat to discuss some of the options or outsourcing versus the employed route and see if any of them suit your needs. However, if you're still keen to recruit, then there are some basic checks you need to try to put in place to make sure that you get the right hire. Perhaps the most basic is setting up your payroll systems. Once you employ somebody, you need to pay them and deal with the factors like PAYE and national insurance. So you'll need to probably upgrade your accounting software or speak to your accountant to see if they can manage it for you. I would also note that you need to factor in additional costs for any employee At a basic level, you'll need to pay employers national insurance, which you may not start a factor in their salary. I would highly recommend that you put aside six months of a person's salary and all the add-ons, pension, employers NI, etc. The one thing you need to be sure of when you employ somebody is that they're paid on time each month. And having the money set aside to cover that is the best way. You really don't want the stress of working out how you're going to pay salaries when you should be focused on growing the business. The second thing you need to factor in is who you're hiring. The needs of someone joining a startup company such as your business are far different to those you may have hired for your employed role. The person who comes in will need to be willing to take on many tasks that aren't often part of the job description. The needs of working for a small company is that recruiters can often be chasing clients for money and finance people can often be qualifying candidates against the role. Are they open to that? At this point, I often hear the refrain, it's okay, I know them from where we work together or they're a good friend. And those are certainly good ways to hire people as they'll be known quantities. But the same points hold true no matter how well you know them. You need to be sure that they're aware that they were doing lots of things that they may not have had to do when you worked with them before. They too will also need to be happy working with little or no direction. Even with the best efforts, there are going to be times when you're not about and they will need to know how to act and when to act. One final point on any hires. They will be your staff at the end of the day. You'll be responsible for them. And much like the footballer who becomes the manager, you need to be sure you're happy to make some tough decisions for the best of the team, i.e. your company. Be aware that includes having to fire them, if needs be. Believe me, having been through some of the worst things in recruitment over the last 20 years, the sacking of someone who I'd hired as employee number one in my own company was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. And yet it was a job I did far too late and kept putting off, and it still cost me significant amounts of money. As I said before, one of the real benefits of working in a bigger company is the benefit of the team. 
and hiring people can recreate some of that team dynamic. However, it's a step that you need to be very sure is fully needed before you do it, as the risks are great and the upside limited unless you get everything right. I hope this has given you some interesting thoughts to take into the week ahead. And as ever, if you want to discuss any of the ideas on today's podcast, please feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'm at Million Pan Villa. Or if there are any areas you'd like to discuss in more detail, please feel free to reach out to me via my website, adrian-mansfield.com, where you can book some time to discuss your position and have me provide some of your ideas or thoughts. I'm about to record another interview, which should be out later this month. But in the meantime, I highly recommend those who've not yet listened to go back and listen to my interview with Barry Cullen. I guarantee he will save you money and risk if you put in place some of his simple tips on terms of negotiating with clients. Finally, if you like this podcast, it'd be great if you can rate us and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps others to find us. Until next week, enjoy the journey.